sight. Caterpillar to a butterfly. It's green and growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries. On 95.5 WSB. Glad to be with you here on another Saturday morning. Hey, it's Ashley Frasca. Starting the show a little differently today. Right now, for the next half hour, we're talking everything hydrangeas. And I have brought back with me this morning, Norm Mitleider. If you want to find out more about Norm, he is a Japanese maple expert. You're a certified aesthetic pruner. What does that mean to the homeowner? A certified aesthetic pruner is a rigorous certification similar to what the ISA provides with arborists. And when you're dealing with plant materials, specifically Japanese maples, and you want to have pruning done, you want to make sure the individual has some certification as well. I am the only one in the state of Georgia with that certification currently. Trust me, I am going to borrow some of your expertise on Japanese maples here before our conversation is through. But today, you and I wanted to talk about hydrangeas. They are a southern favorite thanks to their spectacular, long-lasting flowers. There are so many varieties you can be successful with. But first off, Norm, where is a hydrangea happiest in the landscape? at the fringe of a a wooded area so that they can get protection from the hot afternoon sun but still able to get some sun. Hydrangeas need a little bit of care as far as fertilizer. They are a little bit heavier feeder than some plants, but it would be good in the springtime to give them a little boost of fertilizer, not overdoing it. Yeah, we think as a general rule of thumb, anything that's an active growth could really benefit from the right amount of fertilizer, right? Yes, but if you do too much, then you get more growth and no flower. Right. So when you're looking at those fertilizer bags, folks, nitrogen is that first number, and maybe too much of that is going to cause a lot of growth, but the blooms just don't catch up. So, Norm, the common ones here in the South, and that most of our listeners are so familiar with just the show stopping, we'll break down first maybe the two most common types, macrophylla, like mop head, which are those big, puffy, round, beautiful hydrangeas that folks love, and they grow a little more densely. And then a lace cap type, which the name describes it perfectly. And then paniculata, panicle, right? So more of a cone shape. So let's start with the mop head. Say that I'm going to the nursery and I'm going to pick up an endless summer hydrangea. So more commonly, that's the mop head, that's the macrophylla, Tell me what the soil conditions need to be as I go to plant that in my landscape. You're going to typically want it a little more acidic than alkaline. A soil pH around 5 or 6 would be fine. Again, it would depend on what you want as far as the coloring as to how much acid you want in the soil. Now that's perfect because this is a call that I got to the show just a few weeks ago. Listen to Susan's question. I recently planted some pink hydrangeas. When do I add lime to keep the pink color and how much? She could add a little bit of lime, but she may not need to add any at all because depending on if she has clay soil, it's already somewhat alkaline. 
And anybody who plans to plant a lot of hydrangeas and doesn't understand what we're talking about as far as their soil's pH or really for anything you're going to go forward doing, even a vegetable garden, the lawn where it's important for you to know the pH, you get a soil test done that's easily done with a kit. You can find it at Pike Nursery or 1-800-ASK-UGA-1 if you need to find your local extension office and they are happy to help you. Uh, you know, you submit a soil sample and all of that, and they'll get you a soil test right away. So, Norm, I have cried out for help on this show. I don't know why. Sometimes in your gardening brain, things just don't click. In order to understand the answer, I have to understand the why. Because if I don't understand the why and that doesn't sink in, then I'm not going to remember the way something is. So I wanted to squash once and for all the old wood, new wood, when to prune, when to leave it. Set us straight. Let's start with macrophylla first. I recommend that in the end of the summer after they're through blooming, you can deadhead if you want a cleaner look for your plant. Personally, I like leaving them on for the winter interest. And then what I do is I wait until early April. Then I look at trimming back the uh, stems to two healthy buds. The empty stems? Yes. Okay. In the spring, by April, you're going to see that the buds have swollen, if not already started pushing. Mm -hmm. Trim them back to the strongest ones rather than to just any bud. Because if they're weak buds, they may produce a flower. And if they do, it's not going to be a very strong flower. Okay. So the way I'm going to remember that is... M for Mopet or Macrophylla Hydrangea, and prune in that month of April between the two months that start with an M between March and May. That'll that'll help me remember. If Ashley can keep it straight, then then we're all good. So then let's move to Panicle. I'm I'm but, somewhat more familiar with those. I've paniculata. I've got that in my yard. I have always generally pruned those back around St. Patrick's Day, and that seems to work. The paniculatas. You don't have to worry about any late freeze damage. And plus, they bloom later in the the season. I have seen people prune them around Thanksgiving time, just like they would a crepe myrtle, but that's way too soon. What you want to do is at least wait until January or February and trim them back then. You can wait, trim them in mid to late March, even when they're starting to bud. And that will be fine. And paniculata, those, again, folks, the cone shape, and they grow on new wood. Yes. Great. Okay, and third, lace cap hydrangeas. What's your advice there? Well, those are going to be very similar to the macrophyllas or the mop heads. You're going to turn those between the M and M. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so because some years the springs are kind of extended with cool weather, and then some years the temperature can, you know, it's 90 degrees in February. <laughs> you never know in Georgia. You really never know. So lace cap and macrophylla are a little similar there, Norm. When they produce flowers on old wood, the thought process there, is that kind of an every other year, like an alternation? Like you've got, you know, the old wood obviously becomes old the following year after it's already been used for new flowers. So then when I think of young wood, I think of a shoot that has come up from the base. So that would be the current season. Old wood, that to me is second year wood. You know, endless summer typically should 
bloom regardless of it coming from the base or if it's coming off from an existing stem, mm-hmm. you know, second or third year. You know, the other macrophyllists don't always do that, and that's why you may not get blooms if, you know, you've trimmed it too severely or the the, the weather uh, died, you know, killed it back. If we weren't there, the plant would, it's going to produce new buds on the stems mm-hmm. that were created. Naturally, when it's small, it's growing up a little bit and then as as the years pass the hydrangea gets bigger so there's a few more stems you're still getting the buds forming along the, the stems okay so norman talking about lace cap and macro macrophylla hydrangea do we leave the old canes the old bare limbs or not yes you go ahead and leave the second third fourth fifth year wood um but you know, some people like to keep the plant young and vigorous. So what they will do periodically, maybe every other year or every three years, go in and remove one or two of the older canes so that the new growth can come up and replace them. And just remove the whole cane, right? Correct. All the way to the base. We're going to step out really quickly, Norm, and when we come back, I want to ask you about one more type that I do not want to leave out, the oak leaf hydrangea, and I'm going to sneak in a question about a Japanese maple. Norm Mitleider, right here, joining me on Green and Growing, WSB. And the weather update here on Green and Growing, sponsored by Finley Roofing. Really quickly, Norm, I did want to talk about a fourth type, oak leaf hydrangeas. Best practices for those. The oak leaf hydrangea is probably one of the strongest of the bunch. They don't really need that much care. You don't really need to, if you don't want to, prune them um, because they just continually producing the flowers and you might want to turn them back if they're getting too large for the space. But other than that, they really don't require any maintenance pruning at all. Well, and I want to give a shout out to to you for the knowledge here with hydrangeas. And also I had a listener, Jennifer, who emailed me a great guide from the Old Farmer's Almanac about pruning hydrangeas because she heard me lament on the air as I have a few times that I just can't keep it straight. So Jennifer, if you're out there listening, thank you. That has come in handy. All right, Norm, I'm not going to try to stump you, but this question from Gary a few weeks ago about his Japanese maple definitely had me scratching my head. Listen to what he's seeing. We've noticed that the bottom half of the tree is doing well and seems to be growing and actually looking better. But after about a foot, the tree is very sparse and looks like it's in a lot of stress. Now, are the, leaves, are the leaves coming off the top of the tree? They're not even starting. There's some on there, but obviously in the process of getting worse. Oh, Norm, brother, help us out. What do you think's going on? I would say that it's very likely that the hard freeze that we received in the fall was the culprit here um, because what it did is it it damaged the wood and it basically killed it back to 
where the, the only parts that survived are those that are producing the leaves now. Um, and depending on the severity of the damage, sometimes it's almost to cut your losses and remove the tree and plant another one. If it's just minimal, you can actually go in and trim out the dead branches and stems and kind of rejuvenate the tree and begin it from there. Good. And and never wanting to transplant or even consider moving a tree like that when it's already under stress. You made a good point to me off the air. If you're not feeling well, you don't want to go in for a surgery. So if a tree is already showing signs of stress, let's not add to it, right? That is correct. want to make sure it's getting adequate moisture, not too much. Um, you can give it, again, a little bit of fertilizer, something in the low NPK, like in the 2-3 range. In some instances, you may want to put uh, protective material over the top of it to keep the hot afternoon sun, the sun material that they use in greenhouses. Folks are so proud of their Japanese maples here in the South, and they should be. What are some sure signs? I mean, the first one that comes to my mind is an ambrosia beetle. Damage or just symptoms that you're going to see on a Japanese maple? If it's ambrosia beetle damage, you can have a, what looks like a, a very nice tree. And within a matter of weeks, it totally declines the leaves wilt and the tree basically dies. Okay, and what are what are a few other symptoms that you've seen, maybe just two, that are common, that if a homeowner sees them themselves, they can just say, nope, this tree's not going to make it? If it's been exposed to excessive watering or not enough watering, the leaves are going to wilt and the tree is going to die. So definitely continually monitor the look of the leaf. If they look strong and happy, then you're doing everything right. But if they're starting to turn brown and wilting, very possible that they're either not getting enough water or they're getting too much. Norm, your knowledge and expertise on not only Japanese maples, but you spending this half hour educating me a little bit on hydrangeas is so much appreciated. So again, my friend Norm Mitleider joining us on Green and Growing. It's really been a pleasure. I appreciate you coming on today. Ashley, it always is a pleasure with me as well. And you're listening to WSB. Growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries on 95.5 WSB. And you know the time, you know the day. It's green and growing here on WSB. Hey, Ashley Frasca hosting the show with you coming up. At 7 o'clock, my celebrity gardener is one of my traffic compadres. I'm going to leave that to be a mystery. You'll have to stay tuned at 7 o'clock. And in the last hour of the show, the 8 o'clock hour, all about houseplants with Pike Nursery. So hopefully you'll learn a thing or two about that. If you've been intimidated or haven't had any luck with houseplants, now's a great time to get them because you're at home. You're going to be able to take care of them. The pets are even really happy how much time all of us are spending at home. And speaking of being home... I know a former radio host who is loving being home right now. Walter's Wondering. Walter's Wondering. 
The definitive questions and answers from WSB's OG Garden Guru, Walter Reeves. Well, he's back with me, folks, for another exciting edition of Walter Wonders. You hear it this time every Saturday morning. Hey, Walter. An exciting edition. An exciting edition. Yes, indeed. Well, it is. <laughs> folks love to hear from you, and we always learn something here together. But I have had a request as of last weekend. Yeah. A very smart lady left me a message on the Facebook page, and she said, is there any chance that you can replay Walter Wonders at some time that's not 6.30 because I get off huh. work late and I miss it? So I'm going to have to think about how to incorporate you later Ooh, in the show before we're done at 9 yeah. o'clock. That would be great. Yes. I would, you make the decision. your show. You make the decision. A double dip of Walter Reeves. Well, I can guarantee you, though, <laughs> if someone misses the things that we talk about, usually... The things you and I cover, Walter, are visual and actually really yeah. interesting and intricate. So a lot of times I post it on my Facebook page on Green and Growing WSB. Oh. Like we talked about birds a couple of weeks ago. And then based on our conversation about what they like to eat, I created like a cool little birding chart that people could go back and look at. And I'm Great. definitely going to be sharing a picture of the thing that we're talking about today. So the thing, the thing it, I guess that's what it is. It's, a th it's an organism. Okay. So yeah, well, we'll call it an organism, but I got to thinking about it, Walter, because I had a call last Saturday and unfortunately the caller hung up before I could take her on the air, but she held quite patiently and I was really excited to answer her call and then she hung up, but will lichens hurt her trees? And I thought, Ooh, Ooh. we need to learn more about lichens. That is such a great question and such a common question and such an easily answered question. No. Yes. <laughs> well, well, yes to your no. <laughs> That's what we would like to hear. I'm not disagreeing. <laughs> no, lichens do not hurt her tree. I mean, we all know, no, we need to describe a lichen. All right, let's describe what a lichen looks like so that people know what doesn't hurt a tree. It's that gray what would you say, gray-green, crusty stuff? Yeah. Um, sometimes it looks sort of tenderly. It's got threads and, and fibers to it. Sometimes it's just flat and crusty on the trunk of a tree. Or it can be on shrubs, azaleas, and things like that, too. And lichens are not harmful to the tree or the shrub because all they like is sitting on the bark of a tree. They love the bark of a tree because that's where nobody can eat them. <laughs> so they sit up on the bark of a tree and uh, you know, they're not harmed up there by other organisms that might eat the lichens. And that's where they grow, but it doesn't harm the tree for those who grow there. Now that's funny because that's exactly where I've seen it, but you would think it was a cause and effect kind of relationship, Walter, because yeah. Oftentimes we have, you know, heavy downpours in the summertime and, and winds kick up and knock limbs and branches off the trees. And that is the last place I actually saw a lichen was on an oak tree oh. limb that blew down into my yard. So naturally just picking that up, one would think, oh, whatever this yeah. is on the limb must have weakened the limb and that's why it fell out of the tree, but no. Well, you know, it is probably important now to tell what a lichen is because that helps to explain why it doesn't hurt the tree and why it likes to be on the bark. And what a lichen is, is an association, a combination, I guess, of an algae, which is a green thing that photosynthesizes, and a fungus, which is a grayish thing that doesn't photosynthesize. But the fungus loves the, the products of the algae, and the algae loves being protected by the fungus. And so the two of them together are just married right there into one simple organism 
that um, coexist together and they live on the tree. Now, the reason that the algae likes the likes the bark of a tree that has a little thin cover, not, not quite as thick as the normal healthy tree would be, is because more sunshine gets down into the bark area of the tree. And so the, the uh, algae that's inside the lichen loves that cold environment. But you would think, as you said, that the lichen hurts that oak tree. And probably the oak tree was weakened by something else because the leaves to be sort of thin. And that made the lichen happy, and the lichen grew on the bark, and the limb fell out. And you said, oh, it's the lichen's fault, but it wasn't. No, exactly. So I want to use a big word here, and I don't know if I'm going to be using it in the right context. If a lichen is a plant, well, it's not really a plant, but if it derives moisture and nutrients from the air and the rain and usually Mm. grows on another plant, is it, in fact, an epiphyte? Whoa, is it or not? (laughs) I mean, there are a lot of epiphytes. We know that Spanish moss and things like that. Orchids, I don't know. Is it or not? I don't know. Would or- orchids are an epiphyte, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they live in the trees. They sort of wrap around. It sounds to me like the epiphytes. Surely there will be some listener right now who's listening and saying, wait a minute. Let me look that up. Let me find some Google over here and look that up, whether it's an epiphyte or not. But epiphytes, as you say, are usually plants and other organisms that live on a surface, on a tree, on a thing but don't actually hurt that tree, like Spanish moss is a good example. Yeah, I mean, because I would think the opposite would be a parasite, something that actually does use that other plant and kind of takes advantage of it and weakens it, I guess, in a sense. Yeah, yeah, like uh, mistletoe. Mistletoe sprouts on the branch of a tree where a bird pooped out a seed, and it roots down into the branch, and those roots weaken the branch. So branches can fall from trees with mistletoe on them, and the mistletoe did cause that. That was the mistletoe's fault many times for the branch to fall out when you see the mistletoe on the branch. Mistletoe is so hard to get to. Folks see it up in the trees, and they really want to grab it in time for the holidays, and it's sometimes so high up it's impossible to get to. Oh, there's people right now listening again who have shot mistletoe out of trees. As children, they would go out to see their father or uncle or even themselves have gone out with a shotgun. And this is a common country thing to do is to aim up in the tree with a lot of mistletoe. You shoot it out and it comes down to the ground in big clumps. So then I'm glad we've talked about this. So we're talking about lichens, covered mistletoe a little bit. And you did reference moss, but tell us how moss is different. Mosses are a plant, and uh, lichen, as I described earlier, is not really a plant. It's sort of the association between the algae and the fungus. And moss, on the other hand, is a plant that photosynthesizes itself and can reproduce by itself of spores and stuff like that. Whereas a lichen, gosh, what is, how does a lichen reproduce? Oh, go back to college, Walter. <laughs> the fungus has the most important part of reproducing a lichen. And the fungus that suddenly splits off, splits off on the main thing. Call out to another listener who is looking at Google <laughs> right now. Find out how do lichens reproduce. Uh, yeah, I couldn't even begin to guess. I have got some big words for you. Some big words yes. about lichens. Okay. We noted at the very beginning of our talk this morning that lichens have, um, they can be flat onto a surface. They can sometimes be really thready and sort of have different forms. And the forms of lichens. They are named for their form. They're named for what they look like. And the ones that I see most often on rocks usually usually are the ones that are flat. And you know that uh, lichens are one of the things that help with erosion because they exude just a little bit of acid as they sit there on the rock. 
and that acid helps to de decompose the granite of Stone Mountain, and you see lichens all over the place with the rocks of Stone Mountain. And so uh, lichens are important as a, as a part of the environment because they help to break down the rocks and stones into the soil that we garden in. And here's a way to tell the difference, too. This is interesting from the U.S. Forest Service, Walter. It's calling, um, just so you can keep it straight, lichens are not moss. They're not the same. Moss are included in a group of non-vascular plants called bryophytes. There's another big word, Ooh. bryophytes. But uh. moss, they have plant-like structures that look like and function like leaves and stems and roots. And lichen uh. don't have any of that. I gotcha. Mm -hmm. I gotcha. I see that. Gosh, is this enough for this morning? Is it early enough this morning to be talking about stuff like this? Should no. we wait till like eight thirty or nine? Or yeah, I'm not fully awake. Time to talk about this. And I took oh. AP Biology, but I did not take the AP test because I didn't feel <laughs> like I had a good enough handle on AP Biology back in the day. God uh -huh. bless Miss Miller. Um, but yeah, this is this is pretty heavy. But to lighten the mood, you have a yeah. joke, and oh my gosh, you didn't tell me ahead of time. But you have a joke about lichen, do you not? Another one about take a lichen to lichen. Oh, do you mean the one about Peter Rabbit? Do you know, Ashley Frasca, do you know what lichens have to do with Beatrix Potter, um, mooses, or my, moose, the animal moose, and a canary? Hmm. Do you know what lichens have to do with those three things, moose, Canary and Beatrix Potter. Now, Beatrix Potter, I do recall those books from when I was young, 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 maybe four right. or five. Uh, Peter Rabbit, right? Peter Rabbit, exactly. She was an illustrator and sometimes writer for the children's book about Peter Rabbit. So but I. She was also she was an amateur biologist of all things in Great Britain, and she decided she studied lichens because she loved to draw them. Basically, she thought they just cool to draw. And when she drew the lichen, she began to wonder, well, what is the lichen? And she took them apart and studied the insides of a lichen. And that's when she discovered, she theorized just what we said earlier, that a lichen is a combination of an algae and a fungus. And so she was the first person in Great Britain, Beatrice Potter of all people, to theorize that that's what an algae was. Wow. Pretty okay. neat. Now, what about the and canary and the moose? The canary, because... Lichens are an indicator of good quality air. So if you have lichens, that's actually a good thing because it tells you that your air quality is not all smogged up and hard to breathe like a canary in a coal mine. Remember, canaries in coal mines would help to tell the miners when there was poison gas and the, the canary would pass out oh, and the miners would no. run to safety. Oh, that's terrible. Yeah. Well, sort of. <laughs> so lichens. Well, so good, lichens, good for the humans, uh, bad for the canaries. Yeah. Exactly. The lichens are, are good for showing uh, good air. And lastly, the moose. The moose eats the lichens. Lichens are one of the last things that will die in the wintertime under the snow. And so mooses will go around and kick the snow away and eat the moss, eat the lichen. And that keeps them alive. People can eat them too. They're not all edible, but some lichens are. And some people eat them as well. Fascinating stuff. So there's the there's the combo, the, the correlation between canaries, moose, and Beatrix Potter. And Peter Rabbit, exactly. Didn't exactly. know you'd get that on Green and Growing this morning, did you? Well, Walter, thank you so Ooh, much. And so many folks miss hearing from you. So they can still get your newsletter, which you put out oh, yeah, yeah, every sure. other Thursday through WSB Radio. And where else can they find you? Let's see, on the web, WalterReeves.com. It's pretty easy to remember. 
the, on the web and the newsletter, and I post on Facebook and Twitter and do things there that uh, just point out things that I see outdoors and in nature and say, oh, you ought to look out for the things that uh, is ha- happening in my garden and might happen in your garden too. So appreciate hearing from you, Walter. We're going to take a break, but thank you so much, and we'll catch up with you again next Saturday. Great fun. I actually see you. And that was an update on your weekend weather brought to you by Finley Roofing. Now we do this. Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca. Here's your garden to-do list this week. Trying to help make gardening a little less intimidating for you. So if you uh, have a crepe myrtle, maybe a neighbor has a crepe myrtle that you really like the looks of, you know what, you can propagate it right now from a cutting. Leave three to four nodes per cutting and several of the leaves on there. You don't have to use a rooting hormone. That's generally not necessary, but if you have it, why not use it? And then place those cuttings in well-drained rooting medium in a shaded area and keep them moist by enclosing them in a clear plastic bag. So you open up that plastic bag, set it up over the top of the cutting, and the cutting should root within three to four weeks. You know, I had a crepe myrtle years ago that I still remember seeing at my bank years and years ago in East Cobb County, prettiest, brightest red I've ever seen. And I haven't been able to see that color ever since then. So that would be something I would definitely want to propagate. Number two, start seeds now for broccoli, cabbage, cauliflower, collards, kale, turnips, radishes, spinach, lettuce, and beets. Wow, you're going to be eating well in the fall and the winter. It's best to use a store-bought potting mix to start those seeds in your containers or flats or trays, however you do it. If you have those containers from last season, just make sure they are clean and disinfected and place the seeds in a partially shaded spot. Keep them watered and you'll have seedlings ready to transplant by September. And last but not least, number three, you may see fig bushes, fig trees right now looking great water them deeply now as they begin to ripen and then harvest every morning before the birds can do their damage. So coming up at seven o'clock, celebrity gardener Mark Aram joins me. Woke him up early for a Saturday morning for this and you can play along. We try to quiz him on is this a real plant or is it not? And what Mark's knowledge or maybe lack thereof is in the gardening world. But slowly but surely I'm turning my traffic colleagues into uh, confident little gardeners. I'm really trying. I gave Mark and his fiance Maya a tomato plant months ago and they're so proud they're so proud they kept it alive it's in the backyard it's looking great and it's even giving them cherry tomatoes now so mark aram coming up after the news weather and traffic here on 95.5 wsb When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.